Well, you all are in a treat in for today, definitely. I, uh, you know, as you guys will know that when I am gone, uh, Jim fills in for me or Janet fills in for me, and I am not gone a lot. I, I, I hate missing Sunday service. I love being here, and so I try not to miss, and we've got some gifts here. I mean, these guys' ability to teach and preach, and Jim was going to do last week, and apparently Paul prayed for snow or something. I don't know, but... Um, so, so Jim, uh, Jim's going to get pushed off till a later date. So Paul's back there. He's about to take a bow. Anyway, uh, but I, I really appreciate these guys. You know, it, it was one of the things that I, I remember when we first moved here four years ago. I was telling some friends of mine that when you move to a small town in a small church and you have to be gone on a Sunday, there's normally not somebody that is available and capable of filling the pulpit. And we have several people that are very capable, and they, we are blessed by it. And Janet teaches every single Sunday at a Bible study. She's going through the book of Ephesians, so we need to get up early and come, and it's, it's always good. So let's give her a big round of applause. For the Janet Griffin. Good. Very good. Like you can't hear me. <laughs> like I need this machine. Well, let's just open with a word of prayer. This is a warning for everybody that wants to leave now. You can go. I'm going to have my head down for a while. So if you want to walk out, I won't even know if you leave. Okay. Father God, we thank you for this time together. We thank you, Lord, that where two or three are gathered in your name, the Holy Ghost is with us. So we welcome the presence of the Holy Spirit here with us now. We cast away every care right now in the name of Jesus, anything that would keep us from hearing your word. We come in, Lord, and pray that our soil, our heart is the good soil, ready to receive your word, that it may come to fruition 30, 60, and 100-fold. We thank you, Father, that your word is true. So when we say these things and believe them in our heart, it's going to happen. So we thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Well, I told Pastor, you know, you know when you're an athlete or you're the really cool person and you always got kind of a lesser person to hang around with? I'm the lesser person. That's what Chris is doing. He's, he's making himself look good. You guys are going to appreciate him so much next week when you get him back. <laughs> but anyway, we're, I think we're all in the same boat here. We're believers. I think we've all come to the place where we've asked the Lord Jesus to come into our hearts. And even though we may be on differing levels... We understand that at the moment that we were born again, we became citizens of the kingdom of God, also called the kingdom of heaven. So all of us have dual citizenship. Some of us even have three times citizenship. And just like our natural earthly citizenship in the United States or El Salvador or the Philippines, where's that little girl at from the Philippines? She's gone. She already left. Um, we're born into rights and privileges that come with our citizenship. So when we're born again, we get upgraded from an earthly being to a heavenly persona with identity and roles and a personality to fulfill while we're dwelling here on this realm of earth. However, if our perspective, if the way that we look at ourselves in this earthly environment doesn't change and come in line with what the Bible says, about who we are and what we can do, we're going to miss out on many or most of what Jesus provided us at the time of his death and resurrection. Identity is the key to transformation. Identifying with Jesus. 
because we behave according to the way we see ourselves. Many of us are still the little people that someone maybe in school or your parents told you that you were. We've never gone past that place. So until we, until we identify with our Lord Jesus Christ by the renewing of our minds, and we won't do that if we don't get in the word and see what the word tells us, then we're going to behave like we always have. This is not a new dilemma. It started in the garden. Right after God created man in his own image, complete with his glory, in other words, perfect, man started questioning what God was holding out on him. What else is there? They were made in God's image, but they could not identify with him. Of course, any ideas of doubt and fear and lack that are seated and watered in our minds are put there by the father of our lies, the devil. Nowadays, he has all sorts and manners of planters to sow, sow discord. The media, music, educational systems, the church, friends, and don't forget your family. That's just to name a few. With so much help, the devil really doesn't need to work on convincing us to sin anymore, and I think that's why he has used his evil on this season. You can laugh. That's snow, guys. <laughs> Gee, I can't believe. It. What a tough crowd. I thought you were going to warm them up for me. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so at about 30 years of age, when Jesus began his earthly ministry, after he was baptized in the Jordan River with the Holy Ghost, he began to announce the kingdom of God is at hand and that repentance was needed. His first major sermon was called, it's what we call the Sermon on the Mount, and it is a progressive sermon, and by that I don't mean it's a political, there's not a political sense to it, but it, it grows, it builds on who we are in Christ. And he laid out the ground rules for all of us living on earth to include qualities that we need to exhibit, namely salt and light. These are two common elements that humans need to live. They preserve, they flavor, and they scatter darkness. But when we, under, when we talk about our rebirth, we also need to understand that at the time of our rebirth, at the time that we were born again, we entered into two areas with Jesus at that moment. First of all, we entered into relationship with him. We became a part of his family. We became a member of his body. This is eternal. It will never end. We can't do anything bad enough to get out of it because we didn't do anything good enough to get into it. So that's going to be eternal. At the same time, we entered into fellowship with him. Praying, listening, talking, receiving. But that's temporal. And what does that mean? Paul's letters, which were written to the church, teaches us that God says who we are, and what belongs to us when we enter into an etern this eternal relationship with Jesus. We enter into things like eternal life, righteousness. We are in right standing with God, not because of anything we've done, but because what, of who Jesus is. We, we have God's favor, God's health, God's blessings, 
God's prosperity. These are just to name a few of the things that become ours when we get into relationship with Jesus. These are all rights and privileges that are eternally ours. This relationship cannot be broken. It is forever. It is eternal. Fellowship, on the other hand, can be broken. Not by God, but by us. And the Bible makes it very clear what breaks fellowship, and that is sin. In that same Sermon on the Mount, Jesus makes it clear that sin isn't just an action. Today I threatened to slap Katie in Sunday school. That was wrong. That would have been a sin. I didn't do it. But what, we've, what we learn in the Sermon of the Mount, that it's not just an action. It's not just something that we do. It's something that we think about. Sin originates in our mind. It's a thought. It's a motive. It's something that we ponder on a little too long. Because when we get something here and we dwell on it, it usually becomes an action. So just like our earthly relationships, your parents, your spouse, your children, broken fellowship means broken communication. Or really loud communication peppered with colorful expletives. Ba-boom, boom. I need a drummer here, a dude. It's killing me. You're killing me here. <clears throat> so when we're in fellowship with Jesus, the Bible calls that walking in the Spirit. It's being guided by the Word. And when we're out of, out of fellowship, that doesn't mean we're out of relationship. We can't ever get out of relationship. But when we're out of fellowship, that's when some sin has crept in. Something that can be just very, very small. Unforgiveness. Anger. Something has crept in, and when that happens, the Bible calls us carnal. Because then we're walking in the flesh. We're doing what we want to do. Psalm 66, 18 says, If I regard iniquity... If I harbor sin in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Does that mean I've quit praying? No. But what does that mean? My ceilings aren't going any higher than the than ceiling. My prayers aren't going any higher than the ceiling. So sin does more than just make us feel guilty. It hinders all aspects of our fellowship with the Lord. It hinders our prayers. It hinders our giving. Does that mean we've quit giving? No, but we're not going to get the results that the Bible says we are. It hinders our hearing. The Bible says, my sheep know my voice. When you're out of fellowship, has he quit talking to you? No, but you can't hear. And it hinders our receiving. He is always pouring out. But when we are out of fellowship with the Lord... We can't receive what he's pouring out to us. We might still be praying and giving and listening and trying to receive, but a barrier, we have a barrier. Pride is usually a big part of that barrier because we don't ever like to admit that we're wrong. We don't ever like to humble ourselves and ask for forgiveness. In fact, the longer it takes for us to repent and ask for forgiveness the harder it is to, to admit that we need it. Pretty soon, we become justifiers. 
Now see, this shows you how out of touch I am. Uh, that's not a league of superheroes. Do they even have, anyway. No, it's just another barrier because we justify ourselves. We continue, well, you know, it was their fault or I didn't mean to do it or that's the way I was raised or you don't know the problems I had or you don't have to live with Stanley. There's all kinds of these problems that we blame stuff on. You know I love him. I love you, man. Okay. Remember this. Sin always severs fellowship, but it cannot sever our relationship. In other words, you may be out of relation, you may be out of fellowship with God, but you will always be in relationship. Nothing can pluck you out of his hand. Of course, Paul dealt with carnal, out-of-fellowship believers, just like we are today. So if you could turn to 1 Corinthians 3, please. The Corinthian church was kind of a troublesome church for Paul. They had a lot of stuff going on there that he had to address, sins in the congregation. But the thing about it is they were very... um, the gifts of the Spirit were operating there great. They had all the gifts of the Spirit were operating. So when you see the Spirit moving, you have a tend to, tendency to gloss over any things that, that you might, uh, well, you just accept them. It's sin, but it's okay. The Lord still loves us because he's still showing up every Sunday. So um, kind of like what we do today. So let's look at verse 1 in chapter 3. And I, brethren, could not speak to you as spiritual men. He's talking to this church in Corinth. But as to men of flesh, as to babes in Christ. So, first of all, Paul is talking to believers because what does he call them? Brethren, brothers. He says, brothers, you're other believers. You're people in relationship with Jesus. So it's like he's talking here to us today. But he says, you know, I really can't talk to you on any kind of spiritual level, because you're just like babies. You're carnal. You're earthly. It's just me, me, me. Me, me, me. Isn't that what a baby's like? Verse 2, he says, I gave you milk to drink. There's nothing wrong with that. That's what we have to give a baby is milk to drink. Not solid food. I didn't feed you what you couldn't absorb before you were able. For you were not able to receive it. Indeed, even now, you're not able to receive. So he said, there's nothing wrong with starting in milk, with milk. That's what a baby does. That's what we're supposed to do That's as a human baby and as a spiritual baby. But let's think about some characteristics of a spiritual baby. Not real babies because they're adorable. First of all, they need milk. And there's nothing wrong with that. In 1 Peter 2.2, Peter says, like newborn babes... Long for the pure milk of the word, by, that by it you may grow to respect, to, grow in respect to salvation. There's nothing wrong with needing milk, but nobody wants to see a 40-year-old Christian still with a bottle in their hand. That's how we begin, sipping, taking sips of the word, studying the elemental things of the word. But at some point in time, we have to get past the milk, and we have to hun- and that milk should cause us to hunger and thirst for more of the meat of the word. 
Now, if you're just taking a little sip on Sunday mornings, you're not going to be ready for a T-bone. You have to be taking it in daily. We have to be taking the word in on a, on not a casual basis, but intentionally. You intentionally feed your body. I intentionally feed mine way too much. I need to get it under control. But I can go without this word, unfortunately, longer than I need to, longer than I should. So this is one characteristic of a baby, a spiritual baby. They never get on real food. They stay on milk. Another characteristic of a spiritual baby is they demand attention and they want to be entertained. These aren't bad qualities in themselves, and every Christian begins our walk that way and our new life with Christ this way, but we have to mature and we have to have our minds renewed with the Word of God so that we begin to think like Jesus, talk like Jesus, and act like Jesus. When we are carnal and babyish, when we are in the flesh, we will never grow up and mature. We will never grow up and mature because we're out of fellowship with the Lord. When we look at John 15, 7, you can go there if you want to, it says, he gives us two prerequisites for growing. He says, first, if you abide in me, if you live in me, if you dwell in me, what does that mean? In other words, if you have relationship with Jesus and you are in fellowship with him, you are abiding with him, and my words abide in you. That's the other part of this growing, this other prerequisite for growing. You have to be taking the word in. You are in fellowship with the Lord, and his word is entering you. Those two elements will, will help us to grow and will, will mature. So let's go back to Corinthians. Paul is still talking to these guys. He's telling them, you know, I can't even talk to you guys. I can't talk to you on a spiritual level because you're down here. You're goo-goo-ga-ga, and I want to tell you some stuff about the Lord that you need to know. So he goes back and he says in verse 3, For you're still fleshly. You're of the world. For since there is jealousy and strife among you, it also says uh, divisions in another uh, translation I have, for you are, you are, not, are you not fleshly, and are you not walking like mere men? In other words, he's saying, you look just like the world. We can't tell you people in the church from the people outside the church. You're acting just like unbelievers. James 3.16 adds to this evaluation. James says, where there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there is disorder and every evil thing. In other words, one Anytime there's a breach in the spirit and we allow uh, ungodly things to enter into either us personally or even the congregation, it's like opening the barn door. Again, James is talking to, to believers in the church. And what he's saying is when we operate in the flesh, whether inside the church or outside of the church, when we're outside of fellowship with Jesus, it's like leaving that back door wide open and then... We shouldn't be surprised with what crawls in. 
because anything's going to come in. And be welcome. Because another thing that goes with when we're out of fellowship with Jesus is our discernment. We're not able to discern right from wrong properly. We, do, you, do you see a correlation with what's happening in our churches today? Because most churches are outside of fellowship with the Lord. Now, this all sounds a little bit hopeless, doesn't it? This sounds a little bit like that chapter in Romans when Paul goes crazy, you know, that crazy chapter, when he goes a little mental. But, you know, the Bible never puts us in a place that, that it doesn't give us a solution. So let's look at 1 John 1, 9. The little Johns, you know, back in the back. Let's look at verse 8 first. If we say that we have no sin, what are we doing? We're deceiving ourselves. We're fooling ourselves. We're tricking ourselves. And the truth is not in us. Now, this is not written to unbelievers. Because an unbeliever is not in the place that we are forgiven and righteous. But, just like we were completely bathed and washed by Jesus, washed in the blood, cleansed from head to toe, we're out in the world. We do things every day, and we need to be rewashed. Do we need a full bath? No. But most of us need our feet cleaned and maybe our mouth washed out with soap. Because we sin. Now we look at verse 9. This is when he tells us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God sees you as the righteousness of God in Christ. You are totally righteous. You can't get any more righteous to God, but your behavior can. We're talking about how we are performing here on earth. We're going to get our feet muddy. We're going to step in stuff that needs to be washed off. We're going to say things that we need our mouth washed out with soap. And this is the verse that does it. If we confess our sins, Father, I have sinned against you. And name it. I've been angry at so-and-so. I've been unforgiving. I have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed. Name your sin. Don't own it. And you know, the thing about it is, the longer you carry a sin around, it attaches itself. It becomes yours. And that's when you become a justifier. Well, that's, it, doesn't, it doesn't make it. I've been forgiven. I've been cleansed. You have been. Your relationship will never change. What we're talking about now is your fellowship. If there's someone that you are in relationship to, a spouse, a child, and you do something really egregious, you're mean to them, you say something horrible to them, and then you think, I don't have to deal with this. They're still my kid. I'm still married to that person. What does it do with your fellowship? Trust is broken. Communication is broken. Pretty soon, if it's a person that you've had a falling out with, you'll go on the other side of the street before you'll speak to them. That's what we're talking about here. Not your relationship, 
you are going to heaven. But we're talking about all the things that you have to do on earth by the power of the Holy Spirit. We're talking about keeping these channels open. That you don't have a barrier with your prayers and with all the blessing that God wants to pour out on you. So you have to know, you have to make this part of your prayer. You know, Jesus told us in the Lord's Prayer, he said, every day, what do you pray? He said, pray this every day, and when you pray this, you ask for forgiveness. Forgive us today our daily bread. You know, that's giving us our bread. Don't forgive me for that. Forgive me for eating all that bread. But forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. So he's already told us, every day I want you to clean the slate. Every day I want you to ask for forgiveness. This has nothing to do with your salvation. It has to do with your relation, your fellowship with the Lord. So, to what purpose? Because I know some people's goal in salvation is a fire insurance policy. They feel like if they've been born again, maybe it was in Bible school when they were a little kid or church camp or whenever it was, whenever they felt like the Lord moved them, they feel like I've got it, I, I've, I'm accomplished. I've got my fire insurance policy and I'm headed to heaven. So all I need to do is cope and hope and stay in my lane, bro. But let's go back to 1 Corinthians because Paul's going to tell us something in there. I'm sure, thank you for smiling, dear. <laughs> okay, verse 8. Chapter 3, verse 8. Now, he who plants and he who waters are one. What's he talking about here? He's talking about sowing the word. He's talking about some people go out and plant the word. Some people go out and water the word. But we all have something that we're all to be doing. And then he goes on to say, but each will receive his own reward according to his own labor. Huh. What is this? Rewards? You know, I know people that will do flips for a gold star. I used to. I can't flip anymore, but I used to. So we already know that heaven's a given, but now we're talking about icing on the cake. And these rewards are given not according to our salvation. They're giving to us according to our labors. What are we doing with what we have here on earth where God has planted us? You've all been planted right here. That's not to say that you might not get... The Lord put a spade in and pop you up and send you someplace else. But right now you're planted here. And he has, a, he has something for you to do right here. So Paul's already informed us that there's two ways that we can operate on earth. There's two ways to do the things that he wants us to do on earth. One is in fellowship with Jesus, walking in the Spirit, doing things by the Spirit. And the other is to be fleshly carnally, out of fellowship with the Lord. Or like Frank used to sing, I did it my way. I hate that song. I hate that song so much. So then in verse, and I don't sing it that well. So in verse 9, he goes on and says, For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder, I laid a foundation. Each one of us has a foundation that was laid when we received Jesus as our Lord and Savior. Jesus is the foundation. We all have a smooth, strong foundation. Everybody has that. 
and another building upon it. Another is building upon it. But let each man be careful how he builds upon it. So on our foundation, every time you've received the word, if you study the word, you're building on your foundation. Now he says you need to be careful because you can get something bad built on your foundation. You can get into wrong theology. You can listen to something and that doesn't, that's where discernment has to come in. That's where we have to stay in fellowship with the Lord and the Holy Spirit will say, uh-uh-uh, you don't want this on your foundation. This is unstable. Don't take this. He goes, so we're re- we get the foundation and then we're responsible what gets built on it. Now maybe your foundation is a basketball goal. And you know what that means? Nothing's built on it. I don't think that's the plan. So let's look down here in 11. For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So we all have that foundation. We're all sitting there. Verse 12. Now in verse 12, Jesus gets into building materials. And he says, Now if any man builds upon the foundation with gold, silver, and precious stones, wood, hay, or straw. So we see here two... um, We see here two types of building materials. It is your classic three little pig dilemma. Wood strayer, what was the other one? Wood, brick, 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 the good one. It doesn't take an engineering degree to figure out that there's good stuff here and there's poorer stuff here. But what's the determiner? How do you know if you're using good stuff or bad stuff? What's the determiner? Motivation. Are you building for Jesus while in fellowship with him? Or are you using the energy of your flesh while being out of fellowship with Jesus? Let me tell you, I have got a whole bunch of wood, hay, and stubble. And I'm not proud of it. I'm not bragging. But when the bonfire comes, and it's coming, a lot of my stuff's going to burn up because I did it in the flesh. I did it because maybe I thought, oh, we need to have that Sunday school class. And maybe not by, the, not by the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, not by God saying, I want you to teach that. I just decided, well, you know, I didn't teach that. That's burnt. I don't care how much energy I put into it. I don't know how good it was. If it's not of God, if it, if it, wasn't, if it didn't take place while I was in fellowship, hearing from the Holy Spirit, it's wood, hay, and stubble. So let's look at 13, 14, and 15. So I've got a really bad house on, a really rickety building on my foundation. Let's see if it means anything. Each man's work will become evident because the big bad wolf comes up and blows it down. No, that's not this story. For the day will show it because, and the day is the day of judgment. Now, everybody gets, goes before the judgment seat of God. We don't as believers, but our works do. Our works go before the judgment seat because it will be revealed with fire and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work which he has built upon it remains, he shall receive a reward. Okay, so this is it. There again, I don't think we have to be... uh, too bright to understand what's going to burn and what's going to stay. The, the gold, the silver, and the stones 
are going to remain. The wood, hay, and stubble, they're going to burn up. So we've got this big bonfire, and after the smoke clears and you dig through the ashes, there's some stones, there's some gold, and there's some silver. And that is your reward. It'll either become your reward, or maybe it is your reward. I know we get crowns. Maybe those are the stones in the crown. So then we look, so, but this isn't a very pretty scene, is it? There's going to be some fire. There's going to be some burning. There's going to be some smoke. There's going to be some ashes. In fact, this all sounds a little hellish. But no, because look at the next verse. Verse 15. If any man's work is burned up, he shall suffer loss. But he himself shall be saved. As so, yet, as so, yet so as through fire. We're going to still be in heaven. There's going to be no tears. We're not even going to be crying at the ash. We're not even going to be crying when I, when I see all those Bible school projects that I've put together <laughs> that the Holy Ghost didn't tell me to do. When all that stuff is burnt up, I'm not going to be crying because there's no tears. Um, there's all the former things will be passed away. There's going to be some gold streets, you know. There's some good stuff, majorly good stuff. But I'm just not going to have any rewards. Or if any of us that are not walking in fellowship and doing what we're supposed to be doing in fellowship with the Lord, no matter how good what, no matter what good things we're doing or how good we're performing them, if we're not doing it while we're in fellowship with the Holy Ghost, in fellowship with Jesus, it's wood, hay, and stubble. So let's just wrap it up. I've got, gee, there's no faces, there's no smiles now. <laughs> I went to the bad stuff really quick. So <laughs> let's just get to the end of this tale. This tale of relationship and fellowship. Because what I want you to leave with this is you are in relationship with Jesus Christ, and it is eternal. But the important thing to help us walk in this walk through the earth this temporal walk, we must stay in fellowship with Jesus. We must cultivate a tender heart that's quick to forgive and quick to repent. Because if you allow sin to lay on your heart, or in, if you just let it hold on to you, you will get harder and harder. Remember the story of David? After the baby was born, and Nathan would go in and say, you got something you need to... You know, you need to talk about something. Nope. He went that way for a whole year. He refused. And the thing that the Lord, the Lord said about David, he is a man after my own heart. That David, me, were bros. Because did David not sin? Oh, big time. He was a big time sinner. But he was quick to repent and he was quick to ask forgiveness. He immediately went to his knees. He had a tender heart. But the year that he covered that, he tried to cover his sin with Bathsheba and that baby. He went for a whole year without repenting. And his heart got hard. And somebody finally had to go in and tell him a little story and make him see the light. You know, you're right. And I'm sure he immediately went to his knees and repented. So we need to understand how important repentance is to God. It keeps us tender. It keeps all lines of communications open. We need to make 
1 John 1, 9, part of our daily prayer. We need to ask for forgiveness daily. We need to, second of all, we need to take in the word as a steady diet. We need to get off the bottle. Yes, we like to go to the same stories and read them, but we need to venture into the hard stuff. And we need to grow up. And finally, just like Paul was talking here about doing works, we need to act on the word. We don't just need to hear it and hear it and hear it and nod occasionally that I'm, you're agreeing, but we need to build on our foundation. We need to be doers of the word. We need to be salt and light in Rockport, Missouri.